0: listening to the Birth Bruja podcast, a place to explore intersectional, liberational, and decolonial approaches to birth work, healing, and life. Join us each month as we explore everything from the personal to the political, birth justice to ancestral healing, interrupting systemic violence to practicing inclusive reproductive care. Here, my friends, our roots spread wide and deep. Welcome listeners. Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is part two of our Black Diamond series, a black, queer, midwifery student journey with Rafael Newport. Thank you so much, Raphael, for continuing to share your journey with us. How are you feeling today, friend?
1: Today is a good day.
0: Yeah, tell me about it. What's going on?
1: Um, well, the last time we spoke, California was um, drowning in a soup of air that was full of smoke. And mm. today, actually for the last almost week, um, we've had clean air, like almost crystal blue cr- clean air. Mm. Uh, so that that California breeze, that Northern California breeze that lets you know that everything's going to be all right is back. Mm. Um, And the sun is shining, you know, because this is like basically our summer. So that's super helpful. Um, And I have somehow um, found an amazing person that's also thinks I'm amazing and really into me. So I've been cupcaking.
0: Yes. (laughs) Yes. Thank you for bringing that into the space. (laughs) Yes
1: cake 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 um <laughs> and I started school so yeah I mean like and my house is almost fully decorated um and I just found out that one of my homies uh their partner is on the cover of Time Magazine right now um I'm just you know she's just, just coming up roses I'm, I'm getting to reap a lot of what I sowed earlier in the year so
0: My chest is so swollen right now for you. Um, You and a few other uh, beloveds, I call y'all beloveds just because you're the dear people that I'm really, I feel really invested in and connected to, you know, in the Bay. And I've been breathing three deep breaths every morning for y'all. To know that you're in a place of spaciousness and sweetness is just feels so profound and so necessary right now. And also, it's reminding me of um, something that, uh, so a, a colleague and a teacher, her name is Crystal Yeskas, um, she spoke at the, this, this month's Birthwork Mentorship Circle, and she spoke on burnout, nourishing burnout specifically, you know, from an indigenous perspective. And one of the things that came, you know, in the conversation was talking about the importance of us reclaiming our sovereignty, right, in general our self-sovereignty right over all the realms of ourselves but then also about how gratitude and connecting with our gratitude can be and is a profound part of that process and the little that I've known you friends you are someone that very much embodies that practice right like knowing that our that connecting to our gratitude and to like uh to the, the fruits of our labors doesn't take away from, right? Like it doesn't necessarily take away from the intensity of struggles, but it makes it bearable and it actually can shift, right? The way that we experience that stuff. And so just recognizing that interconnectivity, right? Between like our blessings and our struggles. Anyways, that meant to be way more concise in my brain, but I just like... Thank you for sharing. That just, again, feels just very profound right now for us to be I mean, hearing that,
1: you know, like being, being happy when you're oppressed is a radical act. Mm, so, mm, um, and, and enjoying any part of life is a radical act. Cause that's not what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, I'm supposed to be um, producing for uh, capitalism. Mm. And if I'm running around happy, that means I'm not working. So you know, uh, celebrating wherever we can celebrate is important because also like, you know, I got hella shit going on still too. You know, like this rent going to be due on the first mm. <laughs> and all the rest of the bills. Like um, I got another homie that just lost a best friend. I've had mm. quite a few people lose folks in 2020 that were close to them. Um, And like fire season isn't over in California. It doesn't end right. now until December. So, you know, I'm trying to, breathe this air in but in a minute you know who knows um and you know just all the other stuff like Breonna Taylor didn't get her justice Mm. yesterday um RBG is dead even though I got you know I got mixed feelings about homegirl I still needed her to hold it down so that Trump wouldn't be doing what he's doing now yeah and he's talking about like not conceding you know so it's just like there's larger things personal things micro and macro too that are going on. And um, like, I would be remiss if I didn't just like, dude, like there are some real dope things going on. And that's been true. Um, Anytime we've been in a moment of liberation and crisis, it's like what we we see and what we've been shown on television is always the highlights. Like we forget that life is actually quite boring. (laughs) Generally speaking, you know, like you do the same shit for the most part every day and then something amazing happens and then you keep it pushing. Um, and, and that life and things about the universe and how it works is also quite subtle. So, you know, any oppressed group and any time in history will tell you there was like, yeah, people were still falling in love. People still having kids, people still had parties, you know, like life still had its joys, even in the absolute worst of conditions. And it's like you said, it's, it makes it bearable, you know, yeah. you know that's how we lose certain people when they just can't see any of the light in life. Right. And so I try my best to keep a balance of like being in the reality of what is, but in order to do that, I have to be in the reality of the good and the bad.
0: Right. Yeah. I spend
1: much time focusing on one or the other. So, yeah.
0: I mean, if anything, I actually feel like that practice right there is really crucial for dismantling systems of oppression because knowing that in order for us to dismantle, we have to be acutely aware, not just of the ways in which we're marginalized, but the ways in which we have access to privilege. And sometimes our blessings come in the form of, can be right, also associated with our privilege, sometimes not. Um, But just that, that approach that you just mentioned about coming, you know, looking at things with like, well, like eyes wide open or looking at things with both hands, you know, open and ready. That just seems like an expression of healing and justice all at the same time. Hmm. I mean, yeah.
1: it goes into, so like, if I am, if I may jump in a little bit, please so do. And I started school on Saturday and it's online classes and I'm taking classes with heart and hands, which is with Elizabeth Davis. And at the same time, I'm also reading Radical Dharma. Um, I know it's Lama, Rod, Owen, and I'm forgetting the name of the other two authors.
0: Who, I love him.
1: Um, yeah, yeah. And I actually um, had the privilege of getting to sit in sangha with him for a week in a POC silent retreat. Oh, that's um, awesome. Along with some other amazing, dope uh, POC folks who are thrown down... Um, around the dharma. And I mean, I often do that when I'm in school. Like I, it's uh, easier for me to absorb information when I'm going back and forth between a textbook and just something that I want to read. But in this case, it's like even more important because like I met with my therapist yesterday and my therapist was like, I want to create a safety plan for you because at the end of the day, you're still taking classes with a second wave feminist white lady who's cis and straight and Mm -hmm. like all the translating that i was having to do right of Mm -hmm. like because a lot of the information that she's throwing down frankly is like gonna work best for a white middle to middle upper class cisgendered straight woman who has a partner who's also white cis straight and middle class you know what i'm saying so Mm -hmm. I was having to like almost every other line be like, okay, so this is how it would actually work in my community. Um, And also I just feel like a deep erasure of marginalized people in the teachings. Um, But that's also the state of education period. So uh, midwifery education would be no different because the way midwifery education looks today, this still was created within a white supremacist uh, capitalist system. So, um, in order to give my mind a break and, um, you know, just also like behold, <laughs> I, I, I've been reading Radical Dharma and it's just been so great to read people of color. At, um, and I know for sure um, Lama Rod is queer, but I'm not sure about the other two authors. So reading someone who's queer and black and large, um, talk about the Dharma in um, the way that he's talking about it. Um, and also just holding white folks accountable to the, uh, and especially like the type of racism that that book is talking about is so prevalent in the Bay area. Cause a lot of folks here love to tout that they're Zen and shit. And therefore they can't be racist, you know, it's like, <laughs> no, I follow the Dharma or, you know, I, um, I'm all about do no harm and whoop-de-whoop-de-whoop. And it's like, I mean, so am I, but damn, you know, like I'm still a person. And, right. um, even in the places where I'm not oppressed and where I hold power, I still do harm, even when I don't mean to, that doesn't excuse me from the accountability of showing up and doing the work, including being dynamic. Cause that's one of my com- one of my many complaints around second wave feminist is the refusal to change and adapt to what the next generation is calling and asking for and saying like, okay, you did your job. This is, now we're taking it to the next level. And they're like, uh, no, (laughs)
0: like the next
1: level, have a seat. And it's like, "Mm, you were next level in the seventies and the (laughs) eighties. But we grew up listening to you and now we keeping it going. And the same thing is starting to happen to me, right? Like I'm about to be 40 years old. So there's folks in their twenties saying shit to me that I'm like, okay, well let me get my shit together because <laughs> I don't know what you just said to me, <laughs> yeah. you know, like, cause, they're, cause what we did worked. And they're taking the stuff that they watched us do and the things that they listened to us um, struggle with and taking it to the next level. So I'm, I'm, doing what I wanted when I was younger, which is like as someone who would now be considered um, like an Amy to share my knowledge of what has already happened and, and how we got to this particular moment and what else my ideas are based on that experience, but also listening to where things are going because I'm no longer on the front tip edge of innovation because I'm 38 years old. I'm not 25 that's young people are usually on the cutting edge like that. And that's where they're supposed to be. You know, that's one of the reasons why I love being a midwife because I'm getting to bring in a generation um, that, you know, by the time they're adults, I'm going to be old as hell. And I want to bring them in, in a particular way, so they can build on what's going on today and make the world a better place. So,
0: before you jump to the next thread um do you mind speaking a little bit too so y- you just really beautifully laid out for us right one way that we can acknowledge and and perceive youth right like as leaders of our healing and justice movements um could you also speak to the role that elders can play in the movements
1: um yeah because I'm now in between. <laughs> um which is just weird you know I'm still getting over the fact that I'm no longer a youth (laughs) um but you know elders I mean well first of all let me speak to this first young people have to actually take the time to listen to their elders and seek them out there's this idea for a, a lot of young people that the elders are supposed to come to them and I'm like Historically and across most cultures, you went to the foot of your elders. You went and found them. So, and that's what I did when I was young. I was like, Where are my elders? And I went and found them. And I would do things that I was taught um, growing up, which was like, I'm going to go to your house and like have lunch with you or go shopping with you. And a lot of the wisdom I have today, that's how I got it, was just like sitting at the table of an elder and kicking it all day, you know? Right. Um, so there's that piece of just like honoring your elders and the fact that they don't need to come to you. God damn it. They've, they've already done all the running around. They get to sit, they whole asses down. And if you want to know you come over. Um, and then I think elders, um, play a role in like you, they understand the so many aspects of what young people are, are doing, right? Cause one, you know how we got here or at least a part of the story of how we got here. So like, even in Elizabeth Davis's class, like getting to hear her break down some of the political history of midwifery in California, because she was actually there and a part of uh, the legislation that got written and some of the rules and regulations that we still have today. Um, And hearing how it came together, I was like, Oh, right. Like it gave me all this context so that I have a, better sense of if I want to change it, when I want to change it, what are some of the challenges that have already been waged in the places where I don't need to reinvent the wheel? Um, And then I also think in just, um, I think one of the great things about getting older is that I am slowing down and withdrawing from the active world. Like when I was a young person, it was just like, I got to go to that protest. I have to go to this coalition building thing. I got to be there. My voice has to be heard. You know what I'm saying? Now I'm like, look, <laughs> um, uh, I need to be where my energy is going to make the most sense. And that's not always necessarily showing up at something that has a lot of people or is visible or is loud. Like sometimes that literally is meditation and having that level of grounding in your movement is just so powerful to have some people who are like you, yes, you be out there. You need to run that energy, do your thing. We need that too. And somebody that can like ground that somewhere and, um, let you know that it's good to rest and take a breather, especially cause folks, um, who um, are organizers for change, particularly on the radical left. Uh, I watched my generation when we were in our early 20s, really going hard on ourselves about watching our elders burn out because they were like, it was all about martyrdom. And you work until you can't. And we were like, that don't make no damn sense. Like, there's got to be some rest in there. And... um, that was one of the reasons why some folks and on the radical left, especially the queer radical left here in the bay, invited our elders to give us that reminder of slowing down, of having context, of getting rest, of um being accustomed to nicer shit, you know, because when you get older, you're just like, "No, seriously, I'll throw up a fight if I eat that. you know, like i can't I can't fuck with that no more, yeah, or whatever. so um, yeah, I think there's a lot of I think everybody the more diverse anything is, the more likely it is to thrive. That's true about the universe. That's true about nature. That's true about your diet. You know, like in every case, diversity is always the key um, for things to be sustainable and um, in order to actually meet the needs of um, whoever, whomever and whatever is happening. So I feel like, The more ages that are there, but also just across the board, just as the more folks are represented in a movement, in a conversation, the better off it's going to be. And so whenever it's heavy on one side, you've already lost.
0: Right. Right.
1: I mean, unless you're trying to like you're needing to have that kind of conversation. Right. Because sometimes you do need to, like, shrink back into an identity group that you really um Feel close to your heart, so for for
0: rest, right,
1: right, because it, it's hard constantly holding up walls and holding up boundaries because folks don't understand you, and the danger of what happens when you're not understood. So it's nice to be like, okay, cool. The conversation doesn't have to start with me trying to explain who I am. You already know that. I can go here, right. Way. So in that case, cool. But you know, when we're all trying to come together to do something like the more the merrier
0: so since we're speaking to some of the threads right of dharma practice um another person i want to whose teachings have shifted my life completely is um zenju earthen manuel uh zenju is a queer black buddhist priest um and their book i'm looking at my bookshelf right now because of course i'm like really bad at recalling things on demand but basically their book is called the way of tenderness and it specifically speaks to the notions of um finding liberation through exploring aspects of identity specifically race Mm -hmm. gender and sexuality and in their book um in a chapter called The Multiplicity of Oneness, Zenji talks about the importance of having these like community-specific spaces for us to go to, right? Spaces where aspects of our identity are reflected. So that's like one layer, right, that we don't have to justify its existence. And specifically, I'm talking um, spaces for folks of marginalized identities to, to come forth. And as you're speaking, um, Raphael, you like this image kept on coming in my head again, um, which was drawing from from her work. So a lot of times Zenji will uh, talk, explain things using nature as an example. Um, so using the, you know, the example of a garden, for example. Um, to reflect how for plants, we acknowledge that certain plants need more sunshine, certain plants need different soil, different fertilizer, right? Like when we talk about plants, we understand that each plant has its own unique needs, and that's absolutely legit. And it's crucial that their needs be met for the larger, you know, environment to thrive. But yet somehow with humans, we want everything to be one size fits all right mm-hmm. and then and so so she speaks to that a lot but specifically the image that popped up in my head rafael was was um the notion of she, she talks about these community specific spaces being bridges until recently i viewed that as literal bridges that connect land with what you just shared instead what i'm viewing is actually water bridges like waterways that connect different mm-hmm pods of of an ecosystem because what we know is that water is constantly flowing and water in in itself is the essence that connects us all yeah and that without those gateways without those bridges without that flow ecosystems cannot th- survive and they cannot thrive and it's only by having multiple multiple those little channels can we have and sustain that diversity and that level of thriving Hopefully that made sense, but that was just really like flashing in my in my head as you were speaking. Yeah. Hmm. Oh, oh, so that was one heck of a like. We just like jumped that in there. I kind of I kind of feel like I mean at this level, like, do you want to talk about some of? Tell us a little bit about some of the logistics around starting school like do you feel prepared I mean you know besides acknowledging the level of effort that it takes to be translating all the time just to make the material relevant is there anything else that came up for you this week
1: um I'm just feeling the deep sadness of not being able to have my midwifery training make damn sense yeah. <laughs> Cause not only like I'm doing it during COVID, so like all the in-person practice that I need to do is it's just gonna be it's just it's really it's already hard to get a hold of midwives and so it just creates this additional challenge that just sucks. And I just really have been thinking about the what kind of midwife I wanna be. And it's, you know, obviously early in my training, but still, you know, I've been a a midwife. (laughs) I've been a Zulon for a really long time. And this is a different role. So I've just already been thinking about, like, how many clients do I want to be taking a month? And how do I make that Mm -hmm. possible? You know, because being a midwife, it's a lot of work. And especially now that I'm getting steeped into the nomenclature and, um, like, the additional training that I came and sought I'm like holy god (laughs) there's just stuff that and also just the dying art of midwifery Oh okay so in parts of Europe midwives are considered primary care physicians much like acupuncturists are here in California and now like I've always felt that way but now that I'm learning what you have to do just to even screen your client like it's a a solid 45 minutes of just hands-on like this is not even checking in with your client but just a hands-on of measuring their pelvis and um, measuring their the outlet and getting their blood pressure and their temperature like that's at least a solid 45 minutes and so much of how to do it is being replaced by machines that aren't as accurate and cause other problems but So which which creates this uh, additional work, which I I realized while um, I was reading and also taking Elizabeth's class is, you know, you have, there's what you need to do in order to be compliant and what needs to go on the chart. And then there's what you need to do that, you know, as a midwife will actually give you the information that you
0: need. Mm.
1: That's just fucking maddening, you know, because it does double your work and it's already a lot of work. You know what I'm saying? So a good example is, um, you know, really figuring out what position the baby is in. Because the position you want your baby in when it's time to give birth is head down, kind of turned slightly to the left um, with their face, baby's face, facing uh, the birthing parents back. So figuring out how much the baby is or is not in that position tells you what that birth is going to be like and if it's even possible, right? So there's all these ways like you you measure your hand to figure out what the markers are and then you use that to measure the size of the baby, where the baby is by palpating the, the stomach and the fundus. You're putting your fingers in to measure the outlets, see what the cervix is doing and literally measuring out the the pelvis cuz like having wide hips means nothing it's all about like what is the shape of your outlet where the baby is going to actually come through like what's the shape of it and what's the size of that and there's no way to determine determine that except to measure it so with that example um, the in obstetrics and including nurse midwives don't really measure the pelvis or do a whole bunch of palpating, they're instead relying on ultrasound for all that information. Um, and yes, they do an internal exam and do pap smears and stuff like that, but they're not really getting every detail because it also doesn't matter, right? Because you who in the hospital, whoever is on call is who you birth with. So the person you do your prenatals with is not the person who del- delivers your c- child, at least here in California. So it lets me know that when it's time for me to have my client, some of the information I'm going to be writing down is redundant. Right. Cause they just are like, we just want to know uh, the, to be compliant. It's basically like, what's the size of that baby? What's the heart rate? What position is it? In? Mm. Whereas a midwife is like, yes. And how big is her outlet? What shape is it? How much water is in there? What's her hemoglobin like? Has anyone done that test? What's her blood sugar levels? You know, it's like, damn. (laughs) Okay. Um, And it just already is giving me an even deeper reverence for traditional medicine. And just, I'm also just pissed that colonization came in and rendered it um, harmful, if not irrelevant, um, and backwards. And the more I learn about traditional medicine, then that's midwifery, traditional midwifery, that's um, traditional Chinese medicine, Ayurveda, like all of these systems actually ask for more information than Western medicine does in every instance in order to actually figure out what's going on with you um, and bring your system into a strong enough state that it can do what it needs to do, right? So that your chi is in balance. And all the work that we're having to do to reclaim it, and a part of that work is the colonizers came in and said, okay, if you want to do your practice, we'll allow it, but you still need to do things the way that we think that they should be done based on how we practice. And it's like, that don't work. We're not telling you that. What if I were to tell an OBGYN to practice like a midwife, you know, like we, we're doing two different things. You're, you're a, a trained surgeon <laughs> who also knows that's why we call them OBGYN. It's obstetrics and gynecology. Right. So I'm, I'm just feeling this week. I've been feeling the like excitement of being back in school. Cause my inner child loves school. I've always loved school. Mm. Um. And also just finally, like, I'm on my path. I'm getting this extra information that I need for me and for my community. And then also the frustration and the anger and the disappointment of, like, it shouldn't be like this. (laughs) It should not be like this. This is not how um, I'm supposed to operate. And now I'm going to have to not only translate, but teach myself how to learn your way and memorize it enough so that you don't consider me incompetent right? when I'm actually on top of my shit more than you, because you don't even know how to measure a pelvis, homie. You don't know how to deliver a breach. They don't teach OBGYNs how to measure a pelvis or deliver a breach or deliver twins anymore. Right. The only ones you that still know how to do that are the, the old school cats that are still around. So I'm like, you know, why don't you take a knee and bow down to the fact mm-hmm. that this has been going on longer than you, because also midwifery is much older than obstetrics. And um, do what you did originally, which was learn from us.
0: Here's hmm. some knowledge it wasn't just learning, it was flat out appropriating, which of course many yep. things got lost in translation. What you just described reminds me of how after my doula training, when I started to actually Practice and get a sense of the difference between working with a midwife versus an OB. One of the first things that I noticed was how wildly different it was in relation to the midwives being aware of the human body as a tool within birth, like as a mechanism of birth. And so using positions to help. Uh, navigate baby down the pelvis, like wild positions that, you know, it's like, whoa, how do you even think about positioning the knee in that way and lifting the foot up to a certain right? Like, and how big, how that in itself was the difference between a vaginal delivery versus a cesarean. And also, as you mentioned too, just again, right. That like OBs don't know what they don't fucking know. And part of the, part of the fuckery, and now I'm just totally potty mouthing, everything. But one of the fuckeries <laughs> of like modern medicine, in my opinion, is this like inherent hierarchy and ego. There's this notion that to be a successful medical provider, you have to be the expert. And so that's also one of the huge differences between sp- especially traditional midwifery care. Obviously, I'm not putting all and every midwives up on a pedestal. But that's one of the big difference between traditional midwifery care is that one of the premises of that is humility. Humility and integrity, and part of also one, I guess, blaring difference between the two, traditional midwifery care requires that their quote-unquote patient be an active participant, and it requires that the quote-unquote patient takes their own autonomy for their body, for their baby, for their birth in their own hands versus the obstetric model, which is that we're the expert of your body. We'll tell you what you need to do. Oh, you have a symptom. Instead of exploring the root of that symptom, let's just provide a band-aid method just to mask it, make you more comfortable. We're not gonna talk about shifting, uh, you know, paying attention to you, like, are you sleeping? Oh, you're not sleeping, exhaustion could be contributing to your eczema. Like again, that huge difference in the cultivation of tover- sovereignty, the cultivation of self-sovereignty, is just so inherent in traditional midwifery care. Exactly, mm.
1: and you know, it's like um, what I will give Elizabeth Davis and taking her class already, class one out the gate. Um, and 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 this is coming from you know, I've put in my years. I now teach myself. And homegirls philosophy is steeped in second wave feminism of sovereignty, self-sovereignty. And um, even in her book, she's like, um, the midwife is the assist to her client. That shit blew my mind. I was like, right. You know, I'm not that client's practitioner in that sense of like, I'm over you. I know more than you. I'm their assistant. I'm there to facilitate and to guide and to support and to remind. This is all stuff that you already know about your body. And I say that even as a doula now to my clients. I'm like, look, you're an expert in your body. You've you've known you longer than I do and longer than your doctor. So if you tell me, you look me in my eye and you say, this doesn't feel right. I don't know why. I'm just going to believe that it doesn't feel right. And we need to figure Mm -hmm. it out. Not oh, that doesn't match these set of symptoms for something to be wrong, you must be tripping. No, right? Like I know how my body reacts to certain things. It's just like when a doctor will sit there and tell you like, oh, that symptom doesn't happen on that medication. It must be for another reason. Say what? Like that may be true, but can we, but you need to ask me more questions in order to know if that's true. But that's also seeing yourself as a facilitator and as a guide and not the expert. I am not, look, I know what I know, but you know what you know. So let's bring it together and look Look what we can come to. Imagine now, look what's a possible now that both experts are active and in the room. And that's the thing too that I love about um, holistic medicine is um, like, uh, so much of what, what we lost in coming of age, uh, especially with our teenagers is accountability to yourself and your community. And it's so steeped in, in Eurocentric ideals that you aren't responsible for yourself and you're not responsible for your community, but everybody has a responsibility to you somehow. Hmm. And at least generally speaking, um, Afrocentric ideals is like, nah, dog. Like once you get up a certain age, you are conscious enough to know that you can affect me and I can affect you. So now you are accountable to yourself and us. Cause you can fuck us all up by your Mm -hmm. decisions. Right. And it's the same thing in holistic medicine. You know, like I started leaving Western medicine and went into holistic medicine to heal myself. And the first thing I noticed was like, oh, I'm going to have to actually do something. (laughs) I'm like, I can't, you know, I have to actually change my diet. I'm going to actually have to figure out why it is I'm not sleeping. I have to participate. I'm not, something's not just happening to me. I'm a part of this. And it it really started me down a road of initiating myself back into community and having that rite of passage for myself of being like, my choices affect my best friend. Mm. And, and for whatever reason, like a good example is like as I was breaking up with my ex-wife, I watched my friends worry about me and what it did and how it changed their lives because I was going through something. But I also watched what happened when I started making decisions that were just for me and how they were got inspired and uplifted and wanted to help me because they were like, look at you go. It's the same thing as a as a practitioner in holistic medicine, right? Like once you start to see how we are affecting each other, you want to do more. And that's how you have safe outcomes is having everybody participate because also that baby needs to know that everybody wants them there. Look, where we come from, I think is better than where we end up. Wherever our spirits hang out at, I think it's probably pretty dope. You're probably all light floating around, ain't worried about nothing because you're like, I'm just light and everything's all good. And I'm Nirvana and it is what it is. I'm just my highest self right now. And then you get down here in this body and everything's wrong. You're hungry, things hurt, the light's too bright. Who are these motherfuckers that keep talking to me? You know, like like you're unsure of everything because it's like, what is happening? And so are your parents. So, I'm always like, what can we do to show the next generation that we are ready for them and we want them here, that we need them by treating the family that they're coming through a particular way and creating environments where they can thrive? And then that connects to specifically around healthcare allowing those parents to participate in creating change for themselves and their community. Because as you start to take responsibility for your own health care, you realize all of the conditions that are contributing to whatever dis-ease or issue you're having at the time.
0: Whoa, sorry, <laughs> my- you totally opened up a cosmic portal with that. And I was I just did. like... I know <laughs> I was just like floating up there, like ah, yes, and everything you say, I feel in my body. And obviously, you've been on you've been on this journey of healing, of, of of individual and communal healing for a while. You've obviously, just as your subconscious said, like you've been a midwife already for a while. This is just now going through the formalities of it. But as this journey has begun for you, that this chapter of you know becoming a licensed midwife, have you felt something shift within you about your own feeling responsible for yourself or connecting to your own autonomy over your wellness? Oh my God, yes.
1: Uh, I went in this with, um, oh, it makes me want to cry. Okay. I came into midwifery training with the stories of Black women who have lost their lives physically, mentally, and spiritually, including my own mother, my grandmother, and her mama, and the trans folks who have been forming families and the queer folks who have been forming families and people in my own community and the hell that I've had to hear me and my friends go through in the healthcare system just trying to stay alive. I came in with those stories of like, I want to be a part of that being a different experience for folks. Um, But also, even if we weren't under these conditions, this is the way that I want to be a part of my community. So with that as the frame, uh, where I am now, and and this really, again, started when um, I started breaking up with my partner. And I, honestly, I think that's when, okay, see, all this stuff's starting to come up now. So I'm like, trying to like keep it in order and keep it together. So really the thought about taking better care of myself in, as a way to be a better community member got solidified as I broke up with my partner. Because like I said, I watched the effect that it had on people who loved me. Now, what you also have to understand about me is that I grew up emotionally neglected and any love that I did receive had conditions on it. So to even watch my friends be like, oh, yes, your state of mind affects me. I was like, what? Mm. <laughs> you know, I'm used to being in community with people who were just like, oh, it looks like you're struggling over there. Anyway, if that don't have no impact. You know, what I eat, don't, what you eat, don't make me shit. You know, that mm. whole saying. And so I was like, okay, not only do I want to do this for me, like first and foremost, I want my life to be better because I want my life to be better. And this is what that means to me. And these folks who are throwing down for me or like by calling me, worrying about me, praying for me, sending me money, giving me a place to live, like all the things that my homies did for me over the last, what, eight months, um, I was like, the only way I can actually pay that back is through wellness. You know, like there's no, I can't just give the money back and it'd be the actual reciprocation, right? Like the the balancing of the energy, because it's not about necessarily the money or the time. It's I want to see you whole. I don't, my friends don't give a damn what I actually do with my life. They want me happy and whole and doing the things that that um, really light my passion. And when they see me happy and doing good, they feel it too, no matter what's going on in their life and vice versa, right? When they're doing dope, I, I, I fly on that sometimes and can be like, oh yeah, well, you know what? So-and-so's getting a new grill. <laughs> Like I got a friend right now that's about to get a brand new grill. And like, I feel it all through my body, like how happy she's going to be when she finally gets this dope grill. Like, I don't care. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't want a grill, but I get, but I am going to be happy when she makes me some ribs, you know? Like <laughs> So there's that piece. And how that's also related and what it also brought up for me was the initiation into becoming a midwife. Because it, it is. It, now I'm starting to understand Last year, about this time, it was, I think, sometime in July, actually, I had a major fall, actually, while I was on a silent retreat. Um, severe enough that I had to go to the hospital. They were like, We can't give you stitches because there's nothing to stitch. It's just going to have to fill back in. You know what I'm saying? My, so my knees and my hands got all bloodied and jacked up. And I was like, I said to my friend at the time, Something big is coming. There's something that my hands needed to be initiated into blood for. And it Mm. just came off of me. Um, And that's because that's how it felt. Like I felt, it felt like, oh no, you need to fall. Like you need to feel this. And ever since then, that's when I was like, my life all of a sudden became intolerable. I was like, I cannot be with this person. I can't live in this place. I can't do this kind of work. It just was like, I, I couldn't take it anymore. Also, I have a dope therapist who's queer, black, gender um, non-binary, kinky, poly, who was also really supportive in, in helping me to see how to be in alignment with my value system. And what has become super clear for me is that community is gold, like, you can, like, money, yes, is important because of how shit runs out here in these streets. But after this experience that I've been through, like, I already felt that that was true, that your your real cachet comes in your community and the people who you're connected to. But I feel even more so like that now. Because, like, check it. It was my community that even paid for this portion of my education. I didn't have it. You know, like, I needed to use that money to crawl out of a, a rough fucked up relationship but it was one of the clients that I had worked with now 12 years ago who was like I see you fam here you go so like fuck money I got Mm. I got community right like I'll always have what I need if I have community and and the way that I tend that garden is by taking care of myself and and being able to bring that abundance to my community and spreading it from there. And and that's what I want coming back off of the people that I love. Like don't scrape from the bottom of your barrel for me. Use that for yourself because if you ain't good, now I need to stop what I'm doing to go over there with you and to help lift you up. You know, use that last scrape for you. Give me the abundance because that also means that there's all this stuff that you've got to do to get your life in a particular place so that you are abundant. And that you do feel like you're thriving and that you're healthy and that you can um, do all the things that you need to do and that you want to do. Because I just, I'll be damned. I'm not here to worry about paying my rent. I'm not here to um, be pulling my hair out on some basics. You know, like fresh air is is right. should just be. I'm here to take these gifts that God gave me and contribute to the, the balance of the universe through human beings, through people, places, and things. But I'm not just here to be fucked up about how I'm going to get health care. That shouldn't be what my concerns are. My concerns need to be like, okay, you know, um, how else can we liberate people? And not from a place of like, liberate them so that they can have basics, like actual liberation. Right that's what I want to be worried about. What does it look, what does an actual work week look like that is sustainable? What, what does work actually look like to be sustainable? What does it mean to be a global community, right? That's <laughs> where I'm trying to get to. That's what I want my <laughs> folks to get to. I'm like, I'm so bored with, people being like, you know, am I going to be able to get a vacation? Right.
0: I, I just want to acknowledge the pure beauty that is that this is, we are, what, one week, one and a half weeks into your middle of free journey. And already <laughs> you're not here. This is a 101 level shit. Like you are here to simultaneously do some epic soul evolving work, community structure, uh, building work on top of learning the basics of anatomy and inlets and outlets and <laughs> how to measure. I just want to appreciate this like fucking epic multi-level Aquarian conversation that is happening like, <laughs> all at the same time. <laughs>
1: You know you're talking to a parent. I
0: totally (laughs) forgot. Yes. Okay. Which is why next time I need to like eat some papa. So eat some potatoes for some extra grounding. Otherwise, we're just going to be like shooting in the stars, um, which is fine. Let's be honest. So just for sake of time, we have eight minutes left. I kind of lightweight want to save this question for next time, but also how juicy would it be to end it now? I am really fascinated with the love lives of midwives. <laughs> like how? Hell yeah. When? What is it like? <laughs> like, are you open to sharing some <laughs> Hell yeah? Yes. Um,
1: and we could talk yes. about that. Time, Thank you. Me Thank too. Thank you. Like, cause yeah. Um pfft. Man, in between the cracks, (laughs) that's the win. (laughs) Because like even like last night while my sweetie was here and, you know, we doing our thing and my phone rings and I was like, I have to check that, you know, like I'm on call, so (laughs) I have to look at it. And it was like, okay, (laughs) right, you know. So it's just in between everything else. But um, yeah, I surprisingly met this person on an app, a dating app. And we just click like it's it's just so nice to be building with somebody who Mm -hmm. feels like a friend in addition to a lover, in addition to a partner. And um, he keeps just showing up in ways that is surprising because I'm just not used Mm -hmm. to it. I'm not accustomed. I'm usually the one that is constantly giving. And um, it sounds like that's who he has been. So he's also getting used to like, oh, you just do things for me. And also, it is strange, like, I haven't been in a relationship with a cisgendered man since college. So I'm like, oh, (laughs) this is like a whole new world. And mostly from the sense of, like, it erases Mm. my queerness, you know? So I'm used to being hyper-visible because I'm running around looking, uh, like, most folks clock me as straight when they see me out in the world. So they're looking at me and like, how, what? You know, and so I'm noticing too that I'm walking around in the world with him, and they're mm. like, "Oh," and I'm like,
0: yeah wow. You know, like, <laughs> yep. As someone who's also a queer person in a relationship with a cis man, I feel you. That's yeah.
1: Man, mm. so mm. yeah. So, and you know, he's uh, has been with. I think was married to a nurse midwife at, oh. at some point. So. Um,
0: so he's used to yeah, used to this this right. dynamic. <laughs> yep. <Yeah.
1: laughs> yes, and but but the places where he's gonna have to get a little more used to it is like a nurse midwife still mm-hmm. has a set schedule, and like nah dog, <laughs> this is not. I can give you a range. Right. That's what I can give you, and these are the limitations of what my life looks like on call versus off call. And um, you know, as we continue, it's gonna. It'll, I think the place where um, it'll be interesting is, is keeping that balance because you know, being in school and being a student midwife, you just have to do a lot. Um, the pace is just, that's the way that the education is set up. So making time is gonna get trickier as I keep getting into this program. And so um, that's also why I'm trying to do a fundraiser, right? So that I don't have to do as much work so that I can have more time Right, right.
0: And on that note, folks, um, the fundraising information is going to be in show notes as well as across my Instagram. So just a note on that. Mm -hmm. And then one, I guess, one last little baby question. It's not actually a baby question at all. I'm just trying to sneak it in there. Um, So on the notion of pleasure, do you find Mm -hmm. any shifts for your ability to connect to your pleasure or connect to your body when you are studying it in an academic way?
1: Um, At this point, it helps, but that's because I've been Mm -hmm. doing it a long time, right? Like, so I became a sex educator when I was 15. So I've been doing this whole, like, taking academic ways of understanding and translating it for a while. So at this point, I... mm, uh, So even though it's this program is academic in the sense of like, I do sit in front of a teacher who's talking at me and I'm taking notes and I have to read a book. It's also kind of like a <clears throat> California Institute for Integral Studies, right? Which is an alternative mm-hmm. higher education where we also check in. And like one of my assignments is to color in the, a, a page out of the um, anatomy coloring book, right? So it's also like academic- like diet academic.
0: academic it's not academic <laughs> like
1: but yeah it's like aspartame you know so there's a there's a little it's a little um it does allow me some room to continue to connect to that but really what's allowing me to connect to pleasure and um, sex and healing is being queer mm-hmm. and all of the things that queerness Uh, puts me in proximity to because and one of those things is um, that you can live a different life and be happy and enjoy Mm. yourself and have pleasure and all of the things that queer people come up with like the the different workshops I've been to the conversations I've been in the freedom to talk about pleasure and sex and STIs and stuff like that amongst my peer group is really what's Uh, allowed
0: can we put this in our notes then for sometime soon to talk about the place of pleasure in reproductive care. Ooh, yeah. That would be awesome. Yes, please. Okay.
1: That would be lovely, especially from a queer POC perspective, because I want to go beyond Oh, yeah. birth. Talk to us Yes.
0: For <laughs> All right. I'm literally making this note right now. Um, okay. That is going to be a phenomenal episode. And already, friend, we're almost to time – um please (laughs) oh any messages you'd like to say to your future or past self or otherwise closing messages
1: oh yes okay so to my future self you always do your dope keep being dope uh to my past self thank you because somehow you have managed to hang on to get to the better moments And my closing message is all of us marginalized folks. um, I know a lot of us are hurting and some of it we don't even understand why because we're feeling each other from uh, near and far. And just know that we got each other too. And uh, the positive thing about living in this moment is that marginalized voices are uh, more easily accessed. So find them and steep yourself in it.
0: Thanks for listening to the Birth Bruja podcast. I've been your host, Eric Guajardo-Johnson. Be sure to check out show notes for a list of resources mentioned during today's episode. Are you interested in learning more about these intersections? Visit birthbruja.com, an online educational and community platform. Last but not least, dear friends, help us expand the impact of this work. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review on your favorite listening platform. Until next time, thank you for all the ways you show up in this world. Blessings and gratitude.